All right, let's play in. Uh, I already did Nickelodeon. What's a good song? Fine, I'll do like do 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 Welcome, welcome. This is Abandon Tact. I'm Angelina and abandon your tact at the door. Sitting here with me today, we have my sister, who is just going to pipe in when she wants. Yeah. <laughs> and today we are talk. We are getting started on our first episode. Exciting. Yay. But this is actually part one of a three-part research project, which doesn't sound as exciting as first episode. Yay. But it's, it's exciting. I promise. Don't leave yet. <laughs> it's exciting in a different way. Thank, that's a good way to put it. Thank you, Malia. Uh, <laughs> but this is actually part one of a qualitative research study exploring the ideas surrounding race in the police force. Don't make fun of how I talk. I mess up a lot of words. All right, so this is mostly an introduction to the research, to the research. <laughs> <laughs> and it it's going to lay out the social theories that support the discussion we're going to be having around race in the police force. And the three, theory, the three theories we're going to be discussing are social identity theory, critical race theory, and realistic conflict theory. Oh, sounds so interesting. Don't. Serious, I know that's sarcasm. Uh -huh. Don't chase them away yet. It's actually <laughs> interesting. It was a mixture of sarcasm and non Mm, I don't believe that for a second. Oh, what's your choice? <laughs> so the research question that we're going to be answering over these three episodes are how do aspiring and current police officers view race? All right, and this question is important for a lot of reasons, and it is actually a lot broader than you might realize at first glance. It's important because look at all the current events around us. You know, we're seeing this, you know, people getting beat up. We're seeing all this shit with the police force doing things that, you know, they're not supposed to do as a force that's supposed to protect us as citizens. That tear gas that killed someone's asthma? That wasn't the police force, that was the National Guard, which is kind of worse. But yeah, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> and so, and this does relate to current events, and the reason it's broader than you might think is because, and the reason it's phrased the way it is, is because. We want to go into this without a bias of we already know how the police force view, views race. We already know that they're racist. We already know this. It's like, no, throw that shit out the window. You know nothing. <laughs> Don't think like it's South Park. South Park's just a show. No one's going to get that reference. You know that, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I want to be clear. This is the question. This is my question. This ain't someone I pulled off the street and said, what do you want to know about the world? You I can do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and you know what? How I view this is I'm not part of this conflict. You know, I'm a white chick. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't have the experiences or the firsthand knowledge that the African-American community does about police violence and about racism. That doesn't mean I don't care. It just means that I have no frame of reference for this shit. You know, which is one of the reasons I'm investigating it. Because I want to know. <laughs> I think it's important, even if something has nothing to do with you, you still got to know. <laughs> 
All right, so let's discuss the theories. I promise it'll be interesting. Don't don't do that sound. I know what that sound means. Ugh. All right. All right, start with social identity theory. So, social identity theory is a theory that explains how people identify with groups that they are a part of and how that affects their empathy and their actions. So what I want to talk about with social identity theory is a research study that I found called Us Versus Them. And it's all about the effects of group dynamics on the leadership. So Us Versus Them is this really cool study that goes into this thing about in-groups and out-groups. And when I say in-groups and out-groups, it means that, actually, let's start talking about what the study is, and I can explain the details. So the study had this thing where they took court cases and they gave it to college students. And the college students were told that is, and they were basically acting as a jury. As soon as you decide if this person is innocent or guilty, y'all get to leave. Like you don't have to stay for the rest of class. You can go. That sounds like the best college class ever. Except they didn't leave because they couldn't agree. That's crazy, right? It also is very realistic. I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing. It's it's realistic because it's the real thing. Not one of your animes. Okay. I will always judge your animes. You have to know that. Um. <laughs> so they were given these cases, and what happened was that two prevalent opinions would form. And the, the, it would form as uh, people who thought that they were innocent and people who thought that they were guilty. And whatever the majority was would be the in-group. Whatever the minority was would be the out-group. So when we're looking at this, you can see that. And what would happen is that the in-group would start with like questions like, trying, like having this guise of trying to understand the outgroup's opinion. They would be polite. They would be uh, they would be subtle even, but they would be trying to pull them over, trying to get them to agree with them. The the in-group would apply pressure to the outgroup and be like, agree with us, or or else. And then the or else would happen because the outgroup wasn't gonna just change their minds. And then the in-group would start doing things. They would start hurling insults. They'd start being aggressive and be like, agree, 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 agree. It would all go downhill, which is a lot like real life. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm going to relate this to real life for you. I'm going to give you an example. I think y'all should be able to think of examples right now just off the top of your heads. But <laughs> think about police violence. Let's look at that. Or, yeah, let's, let's stick with that one. Can't think of another one? Shut up. God, I know I invited you, but you can be so annoying sometimes. That's my job as a sister. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the police will start with, like, you will listen to my lawful order. Like, you will listen to my orders. I'm in charge. Like... I'm policing you, like even in subtle ways, like like parking their cars, like in obvious in like black neighborhoods or something, to be like given that like remember I'm watching you kind of thing. 
But, you know, as soon as people don't immediately agree with them, and I'm not saying this is all police officers, like, this is just an example to real life. This is not like, I'm not saying every single police officer is a fucking power hungry maniac. Like, don't get that out of this. But let's say it's a police officer who is publicly known as someone who has assaulted uh, or used police violence against someone, a person of color. As soon as that person doesn't immediately agree with them, they're going to start lashing out, being like, agree with me or else. And then the or else happens. <laughs> so, you know, that is kind of the basis of social identity theory. And um, let's get back to the basis is that... <laughs> So that the basis of social identity theory is the fact that we identify more with groups that we are a part of. So police identify more with the police. And African Americans identify with more with other African Americans. And we're gonna get into how black police officers differ from white police officers and what that means later. But keep in mind that you know this is a lot of the groundwork for how messed up the world is right now. But it does lead us really well into critical race theory. So, Purdue University defines critical race theory as a theoretical and interpretive mode that examines the appearance of race and racism across dominant cultural modes of expression. So that sounds really stuffy and, and weird, and I'm gonna keep going with the quotes, but I'll explain it after I'm done quoting. It also explains how CRT scholars attempt to understand how victims of systematic racism are affected by cultural perceptions of race and how they are able to represent themselves to counter prejudice. So I'm going to explain this in a less, you know, stuffy, formal way so that it makes sense. Thank you. But think about a friend. If any of you have a friend, like maybe think about someone who's who's Asian and they don't want to bring uh, rice as their lunch because even though they like it, they feel like they would be supporting stereotypes about Asian people by eating that rice as their lunch. Yeah, and so then you have to think, well, how can I be proud of my culture and also not become a stereotype? So that is a lot about critical race theory. Uh, and that's something how it affects real life. And it has a deeper effect on real life because in organizations as dominant as the police force, it's very easy for people to just kind of fall in line to with what to what's expected to to they see these cultural uh, modes of expression they see these prejudices it's very easy for them to fall in line to this and that leads us back to police officers of color because imagine if you're going into this community where having these prejudices and having these preconceptions is part of what makes you a part of that community. You know, it it can be very easy for it to be like, I should just agree. Like, I should just go on with this and I should just not fight it. Um, and as you see with social identity theory, they then take this group bias out into the world and then they contribute to the systematic racism that all people of color have experienced in some shape or form. And, and then you see that the out group, 
African Americans in this case is the example we're using are treated more harshly and I don't want to say that like they're treated more harshly by all police officers or all police officers suck. I want to continue to remind you of the that you know, I've met some police officers that are very Yeah. Like the one that he was awesome okay. to everyone. Shh. I'm gonna have to find that sound clip and mute that out later. Right. I don't want people to know what high school I went to. <laughs> I went there. Oh shh. <laughs> idiot. Wow, you're calling me fine, whatever. Back to the discussion. Awake. So not all police officers are bad people. And, like, I want that to be very, very clear, that I do not think that all police officers are bad people. I think that we are working with a system that does not prevent the bad police officers from gaining power and further corrupting that system. All right. The last theory we're going to be talking about is realistic conflict theory. As we talk about realistic conflict theory, I would like to talk about the robber's cave experiment, which is a very interesting experiment from the 1960s or 50s. I cannot remember off the top of my head. I don't remember. I can Google it if you want me to. No, it's fine. I literally have it right here. Yeah, I use references, even though you can't see, so, uh, sorry. <laughs> Breaking the illusion a little bit there. I have references pulled up on my screen. Oh my god, so legal. <laughs> so the Robbers Cave experiment is an experiment that contributes to realistic conflict theory. It's a, and it's realistic conflict theory is the theory that when two groups are in competition for limited resources, uh, they're gonna have intergroup conflict. They're gonna become very competitive. Yeah, like. because it's competition. Is there something that they want or something that they think that they need that is a limited resource? They need to compete with the others. Exactly. See, I didn't even prep you for this. You're great. Good job. High five. Woo. We didn't reveal. <laughs> All right. So the Robert's Cave Experiment was a field experiment where 22 11-year-old uh, white boys were sent to a, a special remote summer camp in Oklahoma, Robbers Cave State Park. And I'm emphasizing the fact that it was 22 white 11-year-old boys because that shows there aren't any other groups that they're a part of that would cause them to have conflict with each other. Or have any stereotypes applied to them. Exactly. It's a very nice way of putting it. Uh, so the conflict that you see emerge is not from any other source. And that's why it's important to make note of that. So they were, they were separated into two groups and given a couple of days to hang out with their groups. They gave their groups names, and then they started having the groups compete for things that the boys would want. Uh, games, treats, special things, or things that they definitely really wanted. And the competition not only gave way to uh, prejudice, but it also gave way to aggression. And... Um, the only way that the two groups stopped being aggressive was when they had to be paired together to all come together and fight and uh, work together to complete a goal that they needed everyone for. Mm -hmm. Complete a common goal. Exactly. 
I'm doing research stuff too. I know. <laughs> I just think it's impressive. I didn't like show you any of the research beforehand. And I was eating out there while you were talking. And and they become aggressive because you know they're all going for this same thing, and there's only one of that thing. And if the other groups get that one thing, then they don't get it. You know, and that makes them like, I want it so bad. It feels it's it's like jealousy and aggression. And so team one and team two in real life, let's say, is a community and the police force. And let's say that the, what they're competing for is trust. A community who doesn't trust the police officer that's policing them is going to dislike and discourage a police presence, you know, which could contribute to higher crime rates. And a police force that doesn't trust the communities that they're policing are going to are more likely to respond more quickly and more aggressively. And, you know, that's how we see that bleed into real life. That's it's all cyclical, guys. Like. All right. So I today we have talked about how these theories apply to real life. And I just want to make it clear, even if you don't stick with me for the rest of this research and while we get into it, that when you go out and, and see the news about uh, police violence or even you see higher crime rates in one area, you know, I want to take everything you've learned today with you. Like, even if you don't stick with me, you know, this is important stuff. I promise. <laughs> It's important, it just doesn't sound that interesting interesting sometimes. Wow, thanks, Malia. Research is always interesting. How kind of you. Research is mm, interesting. Mm, I put so much work into this, you know? <laughs> all right, thank you for spending your time with me today and listening to all of my bullshit. <laughs> and uh, I'll see you next time. What should the outro be? Um, you, you want to do an outro song? No. I already did a quote in Jeopardy. What's left? Let's probably sing whenever you go Get stuff done. Get it's pajama time. It doesn't have to rhyme because it's so much fun when the day is done. All right, I'm going to head out. So uh, see you later. <laughs>